Well, uh, that, this is a, a great thing for us, and it's because uh, many of these guys have been raised up here and have been with us for a long time, and, uh, and so this is a, an incredible thing uh, to be a part of. Uh, this morning, I want to kind of piggyback on that just a little bit and, and just talk about why it's important that we have godly leaders uh, in, to, in today's world, in today's age, why is it important that we have godly leaders, godly shepherds who are helping uh, to lead the church? Well, uh, first and foremost, we need examples within our local body. In fact, in 1 Peter, it says this. So I exhort the elders, 1 Peter 5, verses 1 through 5. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. In our church, we need men especially uh, along with their wives who are leading in the church and who are leading people toward Jesus and who are deeply committed to the gospel. They're deeply committed to the gospel. These are to be examples of the flock. These scriptures don't just apply to uh, elders. They apply to all of us. The elders are to be the example to the flock of what it looks like to be a godly man or woman. They are to be people who are leading in things that are difficult to lead in. In today's world right now, what's been on my mind quite a bit, and, and maybe it's been on your mind a little bit, is uh, all of the hubbub throughout the nation over the uh, transgender issue, uh, the gender-neutral bathrooms that have apparently been installed or designated, uh, even up at McNary uh, High School, I just heard this morning. Um, and it's not just about that issue, but I want to speak to that because I think that this is incredibly important. Elders are people who are, who are saying, I believe this stuff and I believe this so much that I'm willing to go all the way to my death to, uh, to support this. Now, what this doesn't mean is that it doesn't mean that we're, it, it, it does not mean that we are fanatics. It does not mean that we are uh, people who are uh, going to create all kinds of hostility. When in reality, uh, what it actually means is this, is that elders are people who have a great reputation with our community, even in the face of opposition, even when people oppose us, even when people don't like us, even when people call us names or they hurt us or they try to take things away from us. They take our businesses. They take things away because we don't agree with where they're at. And I think this may be instructive for us, that an elder is somebody who is to be gentle, not violent, but gentle, it says in 1 Timothy 3, verse 3. Not, not a drunkard, not, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. These are things that in many ways our world exemplifies. When you look at the political uh, uh, happenings right now, what's going on in our world, both Democrats and Republicans are at each other's throats. The way that uh, things are being communicated is in a violent way at times. People are being hit and punched. People are being yelled at, called names. This is not what Jesus' church is about. We are not violent, but we are gentle. 
And so what is the thing that kind of bolsters us and holds us in? And what is one of the main things that really designates us as Christians, as people who can truly say that this is where I get my information, this is where I get my wisdom, this is where I get uh, how I live my life? Because it's difficult, isn't it? Because many of you are probably like me, and that is that you care about people deeply. You care about people deeply. You care about people and their feelings, even when they disagree with you. You care about whether they're loved. I hope that that's what you're doing, but you care about them, and you're, and you're saying, I, I care about them, uh, but we disagree, and I don't know where to stand on these things, and how should I respond, and what should be my voice in the midst of this? How do I respond to these things? Well, I just want to tell you that I think it's going to get increasing, increasingly more difficult, more and more difficult as time goes on, because Paul tells Timothy, who's a young pastor, he's a young elder, he says in 2 Timothy 4, verse 1 through 5, he says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is, the, who, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, Re, uh, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Verse 3, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. And what did Paul just tell Timothy? He said, there is going to be a time that comes, and I want to tell you, it is upon us, when people will not endure correct teaching, godly teaching, biblical teaching, but they will wander off into myths. They, they, they want to hear what their ears want to hear. I just read an article in regards to uh, some of, <laughs> one of our political candidates and how people consistently say, he, he says it the way that I want to hear it. And then the guy even noted this passage. I just read this last night. I was planning on teaching this. And he was saying, people uh, want that candidate to tell them what they want to hear. And the question is, are my ears, is my mind, is my heart, is what I want, what is actually what should be? Are my desires safe? Can my desires really dictate what should and should not be? Am I the ultimate purveyor of good? Am I the ultimate purveyor of wisdom? And then if I am, what about my fellow man, my fellow woman? Are they an ultimate purveyor of, of good, of wisdom, of truth? Who is the final arbiter of what truth is? Of, of what wisdom is. Because on every side, it used to be that there was this thing called the religious right, which was a, a political movement among Republicans. And I want to tell you, people thought that there was great safety in that. People thought that there was great safety in those things. But I want to tell you that they stood for many unbiblical things. But that is no longer. We're no longer in that day and age. We have a, a governmental system which is slipping down this slippery slope 
making decrees that are insanity, absolute insanity. And so how do we respond and how do we look at that? I want to briefly look at this. Proverbs chapter 30, verses 1 through 6. Proverbs chapter 30, verses 1 through 6. And this is written by a, a man by the name of Agur, Agur, or Agur, something like that, okay? So Proverbs chapter 30, verses 1 through 6. Uh, the words of Agur, son of Jacob, or Jake, all right? And do you want to know what we know about Agur? He's the son of Jacob. That's all we know about him. This is Agur, and, and he is the son of Jacob. And what he's going to tell us is the oracle. And an oracle is essentially, it's divinely inspired, it's a prophetic utterance, and it is from God. And so what he's about to say is truth. What he's about to say is scripture. And so this guy has a big claim on what he's saying. He has a big claim, and he's, and he's about to say that, that what, what he's saying is an oracle. And so it says this, the man declares. Who is the man? The man is Agur. Agur declares, I am weary, O God. And if you weren't sure about whether he was weary or not, he repeats it. I am weary, O God, and worn out. So here's a guy. He says, I'm weary. I don't know what's up. I can't figure this out. I'm not sure which end is up. I'm not sure what's going on in life. It's going to tell us in a minute that what he is weary of. And he is weary of trying to figure life out. Why do bad things happen to good people? Why does the world think this way and, uh, and religious things think this way? Or what, what, how should I live my life? What's moral? What's immoral? Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever felt worn out from just going, I just don't know what's right? I mean, there are a million things that come at us during the day from people who have different viewpoints. It's through the news media. It's through your work. It's through different types of trainings that you have to go through if you're in some type of state government or even uh, sometimes just private, uh, uh, private uh, businesses. It's, it's hard to figure out how should I respond to these, these things? What should I do? How should I live? And how can I directly oppose people around me and somehow not feel like I'm being mean to them? How do I do that? He says, the man declares, I'm weary, O God. I am weary, O God, and worn out. I'm tired of trying to figure this out. He's crying out in this last-ditch effort to try to figure these things out. But first he says this in verse 2. Surely I am too stupid to be a man. Surely I am too stupid to be a man. I'll bet you didn't see that coming, all right? I'm trying to figure these things out. I've been taught wisdom for a while. I'm trying to figure out wisdom. I don't know. I don't understand what's going on. And here's the thing. He's writing Proverbs. And he says, I'm too stupid to be a man. Like, hello. Like, should this guy really be writing Proverbs? I'm like, self-admittedly, he's stupid. He's, he, he can't figure it out. He says, I'm too stupid to be a man. And not only is he too stupid by his own words, but he says, I don't even feel like a man. Like, my humanity is, like, resting on my ability to figure these things out. And what he's saying right here is this, is that true wisdom, when you get it, ultimately allows you to be the most human that you've ever been. 
It ultimately allows you to be what God has intended for you to be. It ultimately allows you to respond the way that you should to life. Now contrast that with what our culture would have you know or have you believe. Our culture would say this, that I don't need that godly wisdom because I have got my own wisdom and I can tell myself I am the final arbiter of what is truth. I am the final arbiter of what is true wisdom and I get to decide what I am. I get to choose what I am. What Agur says here is he says, I am too stupid to even know what it is to be human. I have not the understanding of a man. That, my friends, is what humility is. If you walk into pop culture, or if in your mind you somehow believe that you have got this figured out, or that it is solved and you, you've, you've got everything worked around your schedule and around your feelings and you buy the lie that says that you are what you feel, you're missing something greatly. You're missing something greatly. He says, I have not learned wisdom nor have I acknowledged, uh, nor have I knowledge of the Holy One. Now look at what he just said there. He just said, I, I have gone through my life, and here I am. I'm writing a great work. And I have searched, and I have searched for true wisdom. And I have tried to find what it looks like to truly be smart and to have knowledge. I've gone to the best schools. I've been around really great people. I've, I've talked to so many different people. And he says, I have not learned wisdom what in the world? How could that possibly be? Let's put it in today's context. Like, what school did you go to? Who are you listening to? What podcast do you listen to? How do you come to the viewpoint that you say, okay, I have life, I have the tiger by the tail, I have understood what wisdom is, and common thought says X. But here's a guy who says, in humility, he says, I'm too stupid. I don't have the understanding of a man. I don't even feel human. My humanity, my very humanity is connected to this search for wisdom. But he pairs it with something. He says, I have not learned wisdom. And he says, nor have I knowledge of the Holy One. But what's he talking about there? He says, okay, he goes from like just wisdom knowledge, understanding, and then he goes and he jumps completely to religion with this idea of a holy one. And he says, okay, he's pairing something together there and he's saying that there is something out there that does know, but I don't know him. And so he says, who has ascended to heaven and come down? Who's ascended to heaven and come down? Has our president ascended to heaven and come down? Is he the ultimate arbiter, the one who discerns between good and evil? Are his associates, is the Republican Party that by, by any chance? 
Has, have any of them ascended to heaven and come back? Because what he's inferring here is he's saying this. He's saying, I can't get out from where I am. I can't get my head above the clouds. I cannot get out of this valley. I cannot get out of this thing so that I can finally see what's actually, what is and what is not. I, I can't see what is truth and what is false. And what he's saying is he's saying this. I don't have knowledge of this holy one. Have, who has ascended to heaven and come down? Who knows what is and what isn't? Who knows what this great moral law is that covers us? He says, who has gathered the wind in his fists? When the scriptures talk about God's sovereignty, God's knowledge, God's ability to know, what he's, what he's talking about is he's, he's saying this. He's saying when, when they use... Take wind, for instance. When he uses that, what he's saying is this. He's saying, who has the ability to control these things? And he's saying that our natural world is influenced by and directed by something else, some other being that's ascended to heaven and come back. Who has controlled the wind with his fist? I mean, we can use the wind, we can, uh, we can use the wind with a windmill, we can, with a, a sailboat, whatever, but we cannot control the wind. Who has wrapped up the waters in a garment? Like, I'm trying to keep water out of my basement right now, I'm trying to figure this out. God apparently has a jacket that would just take care of that, right? He can just like, the, the water would be gone. He, he takes it up with his garment. He controls it. Who has ascended to heaven? Who controls the wind with his fist? Who has wrapped up the waters in his garment? Who has established all the ends of the earth? What is he, what is he communicating here? There's a great gulf between me and this holy one. He does things that I wouldn't even dream of being able to do. He controls things. He establishes things that I would not be able to establish, nor have I, nor will I ever What is his name? And what is his son's name? Surely you know. Now you probably may not have noticed this. But when we're talking about knowledge, we're often talk, talking about what book should I read? What podcast should I listen to? What school should I go to? What, 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 what? Agar says this, I'm, I am so stupid, I don't even feel like a man. I don't have this understanding that's infinite. I don't have this knowledge of how to control the wind. I don't have this. And he shifts to a who. And what he's saying is this, ultimate wisdom, the search for wisdom, is not found in a what but it's found in a who. It's not found in intellectual pursuit, but in personal relationship. True knowledge comes from personal relationship. And if you think for one second that somehow your religion does not inform your life, you're missing it. You're missing a relationship with the Holy One. What is his name and what is his son's name? Surely you know. Now, what is he talking about? This is written to Israel. 
and he is, and he is resonating something to them that they would know and they would understand. Israel is seen as God's son, his child. And so he's saying, he's saying this, he's saying, what is his name? Who is this person? And who are his people? Who is his son? So it's not what should I know, but it's who I should know. And what Agur is telling us here is he's saying, I don't have a crisis of knowledge. I do not have a crisis of wisdom. I do not have a crisis of, I just need to know more. I need to more, be more informed. I have a crisis of relationship. I have a crisis of relationship. And then look at what he says. He says, verse 5, Every word of God proves true. Did you get that? Every word of God proves true. What is his name? What is his son's name? His name is God. His name is Yahweh. And every word of his proves true. He is the final arbiter of all truth, of all wisdom, of all understanding. I am stupid. I am not truly human when I'm disconnected from relationship with the true and the living God. And he says, every word of God proves true. Notice what he doesn't do. He doesn't begin on some type of apologetic tirade. Well, if you look at this and you look at that, and this, here, here's why this is true and here's what. No, he doesn't explain this. He just says flat out, the only way to know him is through relationship with him. And the way that you know him is through his word. It's through his word. And why is that important? It's important because of this. And trying to prove the truth of human reasoning, essentially what you've done is you've just used finite reasoning to try to prove infinite truth. And that's exactly what our culture does. Bruce Waltke wrote a commentary on this. He says, the finite mind can neither derive nor certify infinite truth. The finite mind, my mind cannot come up with, it cannot create, nor can I say what is true on my own. And so what this means is that on its face, the Christian claim is this, is that I don't have to prove to you that it is true. I don't have to tell you. There may be some things that I will show you that will say, hey, you would not believe all the manuscripts that, they are, that there are in regards to what we found from Scripture. The Bible's the most proved book in all of history. We could go through all of that, and we could talk about all those things. We could talk about the historical artifacts and things of that nature. But listen, what he's saying here is, I don't have to prove that it's true in order to believe it. I don't have to prove every detail. In fact... If I'm going to subject the scriptures to my finite understanding and try to work this in there and say, in my finite mind, this must make sense, what ultimately ends up happening is I end up discounting what the scriptures have to say. All that I'm told is this, is that my relationship with God is what matters. This is where wisdom comes from. 
And my relationship with him comes through every word of his being true and my stupidity without it. A Christian person has no right to pride or arrogance, to yell, scream, condemn anyone who disagrees with us, who would take advantage of us or anything. And I will tell you, it's very hard for me. Let me tell you, not violent but gentle, that's one that I'm constantly thinking about. How am I growing in gentleness? Because it's my thing. I have to grow to be gentle. And I'm continually doing that. I've seen progress in my life. People have said that they've seen that. But let me just tell you, it's difficult. But here's the thing. The violence that my uh, self wants to commit is really driven by my pride and my arrogance. Every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. I don't know what to do. The bathrooms are weird. All of a sudden, everything's going wrong. It's, it's, I, I'm not sure what to say to these people. Every word of God proves true. I'm standing on the word of God. He's a shield to those who take refuge in him. All I have to do is I have to go toward God. My full humanity is found in his word and in his understanding because he is the only one. He is the final arbiter of truth. He is the only purveyor of good. Do not add to his words lest he rebuke you and, and you be found a liar. Let me just say this. When God calls some, something evil that you call good, that's adding to his words. When we make things up and say that I, I, I'm going to take matters into my own hands, and I, you know, I just think that this is the way that it should be, and so that's the way that, that things are going to go. That is not the posture of somebody who knows God. That is not a posture of wisdom. That is not a posture of understanding. That is a posture of standing in opposition to the God of the universe. And I implore you, in the same way that I would these elders who we installed and who are currently over this church, to look to the word of God. Take your refuge in the word of God. Allow him to be a shield for you. How does that happen? It comes in diving into his word. It come, it, it, it's saying, I, I feel the walls caving in around me. I feel the discomfort of a world that doesn't know God. And I, I just need you to be my shield. I'm going to lose my job. I'm going to lose my business. I'm going to lose friends. I'm going to lose family. But God is my shield. He's my refuge. I look to his word. I find solace in him. And I, as a person, I'm too stupid to be a man without him. I'm too lost. Well, let me tell you, there's only one way to get over that hump of the knowledge of the Holy One. The knowledge of the Holy One. Matthew chapter 16 Verse 13, Jesus says this to his disciples. Who do people say that the Son of Man is? 
And they said, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And what are they talking about? They're talking about these prophets of old, these people that, that spoke to Israel and for Israel. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this truth to you, but my father who is in heaven. Do you want to find the holy one? Do you want to find true knowledge? It only comes through Jesus. It only comes through Jesus, through the knowledge of the true Holy One who brings us into relationship with God. And how does he do that? Because he takes all of our stupidity on himself. He takes all of our stupid choices and he says those bad choices, those wrong choices, those desires to be preeminent in life, those desires to be the true, the holy one, the wise one, those desires, all of those things are sin, and I'm taking them on myself. And when he went to the cross, what he did was he, he did this. He said, to those who will receive, to those who will trust in my name, I'm going to take your stuff. I'm going to take your stupidity, and I'm going to give you my wisdom. I'm going to give you my goodness. I'm going to give you my righteousness. And what this does is this, is it creates humility because it says he didn't have to do that. He didn't have to save me. He didn't have to allow me to have relationship with the living God who controls the wind with his fists and he establishes the ends of the earth. He didn't have to do that, but he did. And what does this do? It creates a deep and incredible gratitude for those that truly know him. And you know what that gratitude does? It brings about a wisdom for everyday life that says, on my own, I have no understanding. I have no understanding, and I am not going to lean on my own understanding, as Proverbs 3, 5 through 6 says. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. You must look to the Holy One of God, Jesus Christ, to have true wisdom. Do not give in. I don't know what that means for you. I don't know what that looks like. Do not give in. You say, but I'm suffering right now because I'm dealing with this stuff that you say is sin. It doesn't matter what it is. And I would say this, every word of God proves true. He sent his Holy One to take, to take care of you, to take care of that. Trust him. But it's difficult. Every word of God proves true. He will be a shield to those who trust in him. Won't you trust him? Lord Jesus, we pray for your wisdom right now as life gets more difficult. Lord, I, I don't know that this is the end of the world by any stretch. God, it just seems like a regular progression. It seems to be faster now. Lord, it's not just about using the bathroom in comfort. But God, it is about a consistent strain in our world on the things of God. And Lord, we need strong people to lead us, and we need to follow suit. 
by having a deep adherence to your word and following you. Lord, we pray for this in your name. Lord, for those here this morning that are struggling, for those that are battling with this, for those that have taken offense even to what I've said, who are frustrated with this, uh, who uh, perhaps identify with the struggles that are going on. God, they are not less than. They are not bad people. They're simply people who are struggling with a fallen sin nature like all of us. But Lord, I pray that in humility we would say, we do not know any better than God. And so we will trust in him. Lord, we ask you for this. It's in your name we pray. Amen.